0: Hello and welcome to the formidable over 40 podcast. I'm Sarah Pittendrick, a mum, award-winning entrepreneur, cancer survivor, mentor, and coach. In this podcast, I'll be sharing my own story of bouncing back from rock bottom to finding my why and creating a six and seven figure business. And I'll also be chatting to some truly incredible guests who have harnessed their power and a testament to the ethos of this podcast. You're never too old, and it's never too late to achieve your goals and change your life. This episode features Sophie Millican, founder and CEO at Moja Group, a profile building agency dedicated to boosting business owners' profiles, helping them become more visible and heard within their industry. Sophie holds many roles and has already achieved so much in her career to date. She's a multi-award winning entrepreneur, a speaker, author of two books, an investor, non-executive director and chair of SmartWorks Newcastle, a charity which helps unemployed women back into work with interview, coaching and clothing. In this episode, Sophie shares more about the grit and determination that have underpinned her journey. You'll learn how she's passionate about supporting women in business and how now she has entered her 40s. Sophie's journey is far from over. I hope you enjoy listening. Please subscribe, rate and share this podcast with anyone you think will enjoy it or needs it. Formidable over 40, you're never too old and it's never too late. So without further ado Sophie tell me about yourself
1: Gosh well listening to your introduction I was thinking what what more could I could I add to that I think you've kind of got everything covered there um I find it hard to introduce myself these days because I've got quite a lot of interests in in different things so it kind of depends what what uh you know what who I'm speaking to where I am etc but I think um that that overview is is a great summary. You know, I've got lots of interests in different things. Obviously I'm I'm now running Mojo which is the the new business we've only been going for a few months so back in startup mode but with lots of knowledge from uh, from the previous business which is fab. Um my charity work I absolutely love so I could talk about Smartworks Newcastle all day long. I absolutely love it. Get lots of energy from that role. Love working with the team with the board and seeing the difference that we're making to to the women that come and use the service uh got a couple of non-executive roles which uh give me lots of fire in my belly as well because you can make a difference in in those roles and then th- those other bits yeah around writing the books etc um you know there's there's always lots going on and to add to that I'm starting my PhD in October I was having a coffee with someone yesterday who was just laughing at me when it when I was telling him about that but I'm very much a believer in if you want to take on all of these extra responsibilities, you find a way to do that. And I know I'm sure we'll cover work-life balance a bit later on, but um, I like being busy. I like doing things that mean something to me and mean something to other people as
0: well. And that's, that's
1: what keeps me going.
0: Wow, a formidable over 40 woman packing a punch. So, Sophie, tell me, what does formidable over 40 mean to you? When you hear formidable over 40, what do you think of?
1: I think of the word formidable. Formidable is quite an interesting word, isn't it? Because I think it's got some negative con- connotations to it as well. But I see it in um, in a positive light and I see many things in a positive way. because I think that's the best way to look at things in general. And I see it as being powerful, as being strong, um, being a force, but a good force. And obviously the over 40 bit, you know, when I was sort of in my 20s, I'd have thought someone in their 40s was past it. I absolutely would have. Um, And I remember my parents turning 40 and just thinking how old they were. And now I'm in that bracket too. Um, And I don't feel old at all. I feel young. I feel full of, uh, mostly full of energy um, and certainly full of of, of a zest and a passion for all the stuff that I do. Um, And I think that actually it's it's a cool decade and I'm not worried about getting older. There's a few things I don't like about getting older. But I think you have more confidence. You're more sure of yourself. You've got experience, which helps you to hopefully make better decisions in all aspects of your life. And I I just think it's a really it's a really powerful time. Things have changed. And being in your 40s is really positive.
0: It is. It rocks. So, Sophie, if we go back to Sophie, who was 15, 15 year old Sophie, what were your dreams and your hobbies at 15?
1: Gosh, um, I am going back a bit now. So I would have been at secondary school. Um, I didn't I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I don't think at, at fifteen. I do look back, and I think I was <clears throat> I was certainly quite enterprising in in some of the stuff that I did. I definitely had an entrepreneurial brain, but I didn't realise that's what it was at that point. You know, my family are very traditional. My parents had very normal sort of uh, you know corporate type jobs um my brothers have both gone on to do very normal things and follow those sort of typical career paths if you like and it's only kind of by chance that I've I've followed a different path I think 15 year old Sophie was um pretending to revise for her GCSEs but really um having probably a bit too much fun with her friends uh thought I could blag those GCSEs got a bit of a fright when I didn't get quite the grades I was I was hoping for realized I needed to put a bit more effort in But was just thinking I was going to follow that traditional path, you know, GCSEs, onto A-levels, onto uni, onto just a job and normal life. So I hadn't really given things too much thought. In terms of hobbies, I had a part-time job um, and I had a part-time job from when I was, I think, 13, which would have been a paper round at that point. But by 15, I'd had a job in a chemist uh, that I did on a Saturday and then i think i'd moved on to a job at wimpy do you remember those i think there's still a few knocking around i used to get paid 1 pound 88 an hour and i used to have to go in on a saturday morning and mop up pee from the friday night before because the the wimpy was in a shop like it was in a shopping centre in newcastle where there was a bar called idol so any sort of northeastern people might remember that Uh, And they used to come out and we used to see them on the CCTV and have a wee on this step. So that was someone's job to mop up the wee. Um, And yeah, £1.88 an hour. But you know what? I love that job. I met some really good friends that I've still got even now to this day. We've stayed in touch. And it was just a bit of... um, freedom you know I was earning my own money and I, I was getting what 15, 14 15 pounds for that day went really bloody hard um but you could buy a lot for 15 pounds back back then so uh it gave me a lot of freedom and I enjoyed earning money I enjoyed that independence that I felt that I had so I think that I probably had less hobbies if you like than everyone else because I was concentrated on um earning some cash and and learning those sorts of skills um I was definitely into reading at that point. I've always been a really big reader. I read uh, even now um every night, even if I'd been out and had a few drinks, I'd still read before I go to sleep so um that's something that I would cast as a hobby that I've had for for my whole life and and I very much enjoy but yeah, um dreams and hobbies, yeah dreams didn't have any I just like I say following that plan that 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 we're we have sort of imposed on us I guess by society
0: yeah exactly and it's interesting how you associate your um the money with freedom we hear that so much don't we the the freedom and the independence that that brings and you you pick that up at a at a very early age
1: absolutely and I think it's it's really interesting talking about money because a lot of people don't like talking about money do they Sarah and they, they feel uncomfortable or they feel like it's a bit vulgar and for me it's it is about freedom it's always been about freedom when I was younger it was it meant I could go out with my friends and and do what I wanted um as I've as I've become older um you know I had a a period in my life when I got divorced when I'd set up my first business and I had nothing and I was really really skinned and I couldn't afford to do anything you know um I took my daughter on a day trip to York and that was like us having a big you know splashing out that's all we did I think for about three years and I I literally had nothing I was just racking up debt so for me now um, having financial freedom if you like uh, is it means a lot more than materialistic things whereas when I was younger it probably was being able to buy that new top or whatever but now it's about having choices being able to live where I want being able to take my daughter on holiday whenever I want and things like that and it's it's really important to have that it gives you choice you know I've got friends that are in relationships that they probably shouldn't be in because they're dependent financially um I wouldn't ever want to get into that position so for me it's absolutely about freedom it's about choice and and
0: that's really important I think choice is that key word isn't it choice having freedom to choose yeah absolutely so on that um your new business mojo so tell us about your new business, Moja, and what is the story behind founding Moja?
1: So um, I suppose we have got to go back a, a little bit further in starting the, the last business, which was by, uh, just by fluke, if I'm honest, I'd, I'd been at John Lewis um, on their graduate scheme. So I'd followed that route that I was expected to follow. And um, was there for 12, 13 years, um, had an opportunity to leave and take a redundancy package in the first of what's been a gazillion um, restructures, I think. And um, ended up setting up that first business, which was a graduate recruitment consultancy business. Uh, it did really, really well. I sold it in 2019, stayed on for an earnout with that business, was planning on staying on a bit longer to get the, the, the big promised payoff from that. But just got to a point where last year, and maybe the you know, pandemic allowed many of us to reassess things, where I just really wasn't enjoying it anymore. I didn't feel that my values were aligned to that of some of my co-directors. Really enjoyed working with my team, who are, uh, were were amazing. I'm working with some of them uh, now still. Um, so that bit was all really good. Love the clients. Um, but when you're working with people that are at the same level as you, that you perhaps don't respect anymore or you've got a clash of values it you have to really weigh things up and it goes back to uh, you know what we were just saying there about the financial side of things financially it would have made a lot more sense to stay on and wait for that big payout um but it 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 just wasn't working for me anymore ethics wise so I uh, had a big long think about it for a long time last year decided it was time to move on and then started thinking what the heck can I do next because when you exit a business in um you know when someone else owns it you've got all sorts of restrictions around what you can't do so there's uh yeah god I can't even remember I'd have to go back and look at them all I've got about a thousand so there's a lot of things that I couldn't do and actually I would kind of got to a place where I was I felt like I'd done that industry anyway so did I want to go back and compete against my first business probably not I did think about it because it was my comfort zone it was what I knew Um, and then I started thinking a lot around what made that business successful what made that business successful was when I started stepping out of my comfort zone and working on my own profile And I didn't do it consciously I think I started doing a few things consciously I started posting more on social media about what we're up to inviting people to to come and chat or observe the events we were in um but it was when I started being more intentional about that, uh, when I wrote that first book it, it, and I started getting this snowball effect, I wrote the first book, I got offered a chance to, to do two TEDx talks. I got offered a column in a careers magazine. I got offered um, to go on TV, on radio, et cetera. And it just had a bit of a snowball effect. What that then meant is when I became more well-known within that industry, when I was then going and having sales meetings with prospects and um, you know, and current clients to renew things, It was easy. It was more like a conversation where they felt like they knew me already because they'd seen me on something or other. Uh, It was a warm conversation. It was really easy to do the business. So sales went, you know, like really, really well. So that had that really positive impact on sales. But also it was fun. It was really cool to get asked to go and do like really random stuff sometimes. So I really, really enjoyed that. And I started thinking more about, you know, there's a business in that, there's a business in that. I did a little bit of research. Is there anything else out there? Couldn't really find anything similar. Um, since we've got going, I've found things that are, well, say that they do the same thing, but don't. They do it on quite a surface level. So there's people that will, you know, help you with your social media <clears throat> that might write amazing LinkedIn or Instagram posts and, and try and kind of cultivate some sort of thought leadership through that. But really, that's to me, social media is the channels by which you amplify all the other stuff. If you're not doing the the great content, whether it be podcasts, a book, um, speaking at events, winning awards, if you're not doing that meaty content, it's just smoke and mirrors, really. So I feel like the, the bits that we're offering are, are the whole thing and, and provide the substance to it so um i started thinking you know what could that look like and then you know got to a point where we're ready to launch we launched in march uh, we're working with individuals to to work on their um personal brands we're also doing some work with some corporates as well to do it at scale whether it be a bit of a um you know a, a workshop approach where we teach them how to do things and they do it or whether we do it for them so um, that's been quite an interesting side of things and um, it's been really good fun. We're starting to see some results. It's like I said before it's we've been back in startup mode and and going for it again, but there's just loads to go out. I think it's a hot <clears throat> a hot industry a hot topic at the moment. but I think that we do it with with substance, and I think that we'll you know we're starting to see results which is gonna then make um growing our client base even easier because we're gonna have testimonials and some really powerful stats to show people as well so yeah, that kind of brings us to, to the present day, I
0: guess. And it's very exciting. And I think um, the pandemic changed people of How and, and there's become a, a big thing where at one time the founder could hide behind the brand. But I actually think now that people are looking for more meaningful relationships and it's very much um, a no like and trust environment, I think now. So that's where... Um, and maybe through self-limiting beliefs and lack of confidence, that people have felt they wanted to hide behind their brand, but now I think, as you, as what you say, it's people are wanting to to meet the founder, aren't they? They're wanting to meet the people behind the brand. And how do you get someone who's who's lacking in confidence, yeah, to to step out of that comfort zone and put their their face in 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 front of the the brand so that people can can get to know like and trust them
1: yeah I, th- I think you're absolutely right with that sort of summary around the the you know getting to know like and trust someone and I think the reality is that people are more interesting than businesses so yes the businesses are servicing a, a need or offer a product or whatever that may be but it's the stories people are interested in people buy from people 100 percent 100 percent you know in my last business Um, You know, when I left, I know that that business lost a lot of contracts because it was me that held that relationship with them. People liked, you know, I enjoyed working with them and they enjoyed working with me. And and we can't underestimate that. And I think if founders are feeling nervous about putting themselves out there, it's how do we tap into their knowledge and, and maybe get their message and their stories out in a way that does make them feel confident. Because they must have a certain level of confidence to have got their business to the point that it's at. Because that's not by luck, it's not by not working hard or, or not being competent, it's by being an expert in whatever it is that they do. So they've got something there, it's just what what method do they want to use to shout about that and, and to share it. And it is about storytelling, it's about why did they set that business up, what is it that they've got to offer. And I think once they start seeing the results and just start softly, softly with a few things and they see the results and they see the fact that it is easier to get those sales or to get those fun opportunities to just become more confident with it you know sometimes I mean I was the same I felt a bit cringy about putting a post out um, and I still do sometimes I still sort of you know pause before I press send on something or post on something but you've just got to do it you know people are worried about cancel culture they're worried about what people think of them the reality is if people think that they're you know a bit daft or they don't it doesn't resonate with them they'll just scroll on by I think To get to the point where someone's being really like nasty or vindictive, you know, that's kind of almost celebrity status, isn't it? And that's not really what we're aiming for with this. Um, so I would think that within you know most business communities, you're you're unlikely to, to get that level of hate that might be a concern. And the benefits of increased sales and your profile generating fun opportunities, that is by far and away a much better. Uh, outcome and 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 outweighs any possible negatives in any case. Yeah, you
0: know? exactly. And it's about being relatable, isn't it? Uh, so we've we've sort of touched on this already, but your, your business helps people step into the spotlight, build a personal brand, and share the stories. Why is this so important to you?
1: Um, I think it's important because. I've been there and I've done that and I can see the the benefit. I know that there are amazing, incredible businesses out there that just need a bit of oomph just to move them along to to the next level. So I think it's really important to be able to share that and to be able to help people to to see that and to do that. And I think particularly with founders, they're busy growing their businesses as they should be. That's, that's their job is to grow their businesses or do the things that they it, they find interesting that they want to focus on so we can do the, the the heavy lifting around that profile side of things as long as they get the value in doing it we can do the delivery side of things and I know that it that it helps them so it's fun it's fun to be part of people people's journeys it's fun to be able to be really direct with people about what we think might work and how we can help them you know we're very straight talking we don't um, you know try and sell people things that we don't think they need I've had a, a few conversations with people where actually I either don't think they need our service or they need perhaps something different to what they think that that, that they're asking for um, and I've always operated in that way I would never sell someone something just to get the cash in because it's not going to be a long-term relationship if you do that and it it, that I I struggle with that from an ethics perspective so I've always got to feel like we're giving people lots of value and we're doing things that are going to help them and being able to to see them sort of on their way and progress is it's really good fun
0: yeah I love it yeah and that's and fun is a key word isn't it it's a key word so what's next for Moja
1: well you know it's still early days for us We're, we're getting um a good name out there you know i had a um pitch with a huge company last week which i've pitched them an an experiment so we're going to do a bit of a trial with them on the corporate side and um the guy i was talking to was saying I've seen you everywhere at the moment. You're everywhere, and and he wasn't saying it in a in a negative way, which is where instantly our heads go. Oh my god, am I oh you know overkill or whatever? He was like, no, it's good. Like you you know you're very visible, and and that's what we're promoting as a as an as an office. So we should be practicing what we preach. And I think um, you know for where we're at, given that we only had our launch party back in March and we're only in July now, you know we're in a great place. We've got. number of retained clients we've got a number of clients on sort of various projects and we've got a couple of corporate clients as well so um, location isn't a barrier so i would like to um grow things we want to do a launch in a physical launch in manchester and one in london as well so we've got those penciled in and we just want to amplify everything that we're doing and and get out there more i've got a few a few plans in my head around how we can do that. And I know the next hires and, and what they need to be and how they're going to then add value to, to our client base. So it's just kind of making, making all those pieces fit really. And I've got targets in mind around revenue around number of clients, etc. Um, But I'm just excited to see where we get to with, with people and what we can do for them and back to that fun bit. And I'm just enjoying things again you know when I was in the last business I found that last year really tough and that that's what makes the decision isn't it you know it's it's that thing around what what do you enjoy are you excited about going into the office each day or to meet people and you should be and if you're not you're on borrowed time I think so it's just yeah I want to grow things and see see what's possible and you know, be quite agile and be able to adapt to what what's working and do more of it.
0: And I think the key word again is fun. And when we hit midlife, I know I certainly suddenly had a a sort of abrupt shake, which said, "Hang on, you've got more years possibly behind you than you've got in front of you." And it's it it is quite a wake up call, you know. And I had that when I when I hit sort of fifty. I was thinking, "Whoa, come on, this has got to be about fun," you know. Um, and you know, life is is very short, so. Um, one thing I want to know, you've, you're very driven, you're very passionate, and you've, you, you've got a lot of energy. What is your why? What is it that drives you?
1: I think a lot of it, uh, you know, it's a bit of a cliche in terms of a, an answer, but a lot of it is linked to my daughter. You know, I've got a 10 year old daughter, and um, I'm a single parent. And I think that puts a different dynamic on our home life. And um in you know when she was two was when I when I divorced her dad and as I mentioned earlier that was a really challenging time because I'd only just set up that first business so the ink the income I had coming in was pretty low especially when I'd been on a really great salary in my corporate job before I set the business up and I think I'm really uh, keen to be a, a role model to her to show her what's possible. Uh, as, as I've got older, I've been frustrated by um what I perceive as sort of limitations as a woman. Which growing up, I did not ever think there was a difference between me and my brothers, didn't even cross my mind, I just cracked on. The only point where I felt like things were unequal was when I had, when I got married and, and and had my daughter and I was like, oh, right, there's all these expectations that I'm meant to organize all this childcare, or I'm meant to do most of the childcare, or I'm meant to be in the house and all these things. And I'd never come across that in my life before. So I, I found it very, very frustrating. So then obviously then sort of being on my own and, and having to do all of it anyway, it was around... Um, trying to be a good role model for her trying to show her that hopefully with her generation she will have more freedom and she can be this that you know whatever she wants to be so everything that I do has to be aligned to my values in in some way which is why I'm so committed to the charity work that I do because it's for a charity that I you know could wax lyrical about literally Um, so that's really important and I try and involve her in all of those things you know she's been sat in on board meetings at Smartworks before when we used to do them in the evening and she's she's been in there she's been and helped when we do the fashion sales she comes and helps and puts things on hangers and whatnot so it's really important for me to involve her as much as much as I can and for her to have exposure to things because when I was little I I didn't get exposure to different roles and different careers so she gets to meet some really exciting people and I, I think that's powerful in terms of shaping her future and showing her what's possible so everything links to that you've got to you've got to have you know some sort of relationship in your life where you know where you're putting that energy into and you're getting the results from your work life to to go into that and for me that'd
0: be her yeah completely completely relate um any founder will know and understand there are times on our journey where it isn't all fun and games and it can be quite challenging. So if you hit a brick wall or you're feeling sort of challenged or stuck, where do you go? What what motivates motivates you and gets you going again? I think there's a
1: couple of answers to that. So I think in terms of where I would go if I get stuck, I've got a fantastic network of people that I can talk to. So I've got a really tight-knit group of business girlfriends that where we chat about business, but we're, we're, we're friends as well, so we can chat about all sorts. Um, I've got a mastermind group that I've been part of for years that I still sort of meet up with on on Zoom on a Friday morning. We have our coffee together at 8 o'clock on a Friday morning. And then I've got individuals that I've worked with over the years that I just really respect and value their opinion. In fact, last night um, <clears throat> I was having a call with a, with one of my um colleagues from the last business that i still get on really well with and i was chatting through with him some some ideas that i've had for mojo where i'm thinking i just want to get to this point this is what i think i need like just chatting through ideas and options and we were chatting for like two hours on the phone and that was really good just to help me go yep i'm on the right lines i know what i need to now go and do so there's lots of people like that that i can go and chat to for, for various things and you need that because you can't do it all on your own and people have different perspectives, different ideas, and that adds a huge amount of value. So that would be one thing around challenges and sharing um, issues and being able to, to get a different input. And then I think the other bit around the motivation, I might go to still some of those same people and say, I'm sort of struggling, I need to get my mojo, How you know what, what can I do? And sometimes just having conversations with people like that who get it gives you the energy that you need to just go back out and be Pooh, I'm ready to go now. I've filled up my fuel tank and I'm I'm ready to go. Um other things that I might do is I might listen to a podcast. I really like podcasts and I really like business podcasts, high performance type podcasts. So I might go and listen to to one of those. And that again would give me a bit of oomph, or I might watch something on YouTube or I might read a book. So there's there's different things that 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 I'll do. And sometimes you've got to try all of those things if you're in a bit of a Uh, a bit of a fog and you need to to lift it because we're not hugely productive if we're not feeling very motivated so we've got to you've got to feed that and keep keep the energy levels high
0: yeah and definitely and also being a a mum who's working and running a business and and it it often can be quite isolating as well and I, I know that through through many of the business women I've spoken to that having that network or that that place where you can go and talk and also be open and share vulnerability because that's something that um, high-performing women don't really have a place, do they, to to show that vulnerability so they can carry a lot on their shoulders. So to have someone like-minded or a, a network of like-minded people where you can go and share and offload, I think it, it's, it's key, isn't it?
1: Definitely and I think it's um, going back to sort of stereotypes around gender again I do think it's easier for women to be more vulnerable and to have those conversations saw something I don't know whether it was on LinkedIn or somewhere else the other week about how um, you know that's a real strength of women and how men struggle with that and that's it was some reason given around why men's mental health is perceived as being well it factually is poorer than than women around sort of the rate of suicide etc and how men really struggle to open up in a business setting and you know I know a lot of men in business and I think some of them uh, in fact the ones that are doing the best actually are the ones that are more vulnerable and will show their feelings um and I think that, that that's a, a superpower actually I think I think that they're going to find things easier. And if they're opening up and being more honest, then that that's going to stand them in good stead. It's the ones that are maybe a bit more traditional think that they can't think that they shouldn't. Um, so it's something that maybe they can learn from from women, but it's something that we all we all need to do. And there's times where you've got to put a bit of a face on the things, and you've got to be brave. And you know, you don't want to be sort of crying at work all the time and things like that because that's that's not great. But there's a balance to be had, and there's um, you know positive outcomes around sharing and being open about things, as long as you don't do too much. Because you see on LinkedIn now, people almost having rants about you know how difficult things are or whatever, and you know that's sometimes a bit much. If I'm honest, maybe I'm a bit old, but I don't I don't like too much of it. <laughs> no, I think
0: I think it's um I think it's all within balance, isn't it? But I think it's important what you touched on with men because I've got a um, a number of men who, who, who I mentor and, and I don't want formidable over 40 to be perceived as just somewhere for women. You know, this is very much important that this is open for men as well. And it is right. What you say, you know, it, men do struggle with, um, speaking out. And I think it's, you know, it goes back to the, the olden days, doesn't it? Where you've got to have that stiff upper lip. And, and yet, as you say, you can understand why they're successful people. Are the people who can share that their the vulnerabilities, as you say, within within reason, um because they can offload and create space for positivity and, and progress, can't they?
1: Absolutely. And I think as well, it's that bit, you know, when we were talking earlier around people's brand, personal brand, and getting to know people and their stories. And it's the human element, you know. I never ever used to talk about my personal life at all in a work environment. And it was only when I was doing that TEDx talk where I got asked to talk about where my grit comes from. That was what they said to me. Tell us where your grit comes from. And, and I, you know, I shared quite a lot of um, personal stuff around the divorce and being a single parent and stuff in that. And before I'd hidden that because I didn't want people to judge me or label me as being a single parent and all those negative connotations you, you often get with that. And I hid it, whereas now I just talk about it as if it's normal because actually it is normal and it's my situation and it it, it is what it is. Um, so yeah, I think that's, it's, it's quite interesting how my thinking has shifted with that. But again, it allows people to connect with me because they feel that, that I'm not this robot, this corporate robot that I probably was a few years ago. I'm
0: a bit more human. And that is the personal branding, isn't it? Now that people are wanting to have that, that human connection and, and to be and the relatableness sort of coming from that, talking about, you know, self-limiting beliefs. Have you ever suffered from self-limiting beliefs? And if you have, how have you overcome them?
1: Yeah, I think I think so. I think everyone does to some degree. Uh, whether you know they want to admit it, back to that whole thing around sharing things and being open is another thing. Um, I think I've always had a bit of imposter syndrome, uh, like many of us do, of, about various things, different things in in, in my life. Um, I've always had a little bit of a chip on my shoulder, maybe, but around education because I scraped through GCSEs, really scraped through A-levels, scraped through my first degree. Uh, didn't do it at a particularly um, impressive uni, then went on and did my master's again, not a particularly well thought of uni, but, but I made more effort with that because it was being paid for by John Lewis. So I felt a sense of obligation to make an effort with it. Uh, and also, I value education a lot more now that I'm older, so I wanted to put, put a bit more of effort into it, and I've got a good grade for that. But I always kind of thought, oh, sometimes I feel a bit embarrassed sort of putting my, my, my grades down, and they're not terrible grades, you know, I've passed everything, they're just not amazing, um, and I have to work hard to, to pass these things. So when I was thinking about what next, because I always like to have a development challenge, I knew I wanted to do a PhD, and... I thought, where do I want to do it? I want to do it somewhere local because location is a bit of a uh, a bit of a problem for me these days. And I thought I want to do it at Durham because Durham is perceived as the best local university across the region and, you know, one of the best universities in the world. So I really went for it to get that offer and I felt a huge amount of satisfaction and you know, I'm pretty confident that I'm going to get through it and complete it, although at the moment, you know, I haven't started it yet. And it feels daunting because it's going to be a long journey. But I'll feel so much pride for getting that, you know, getting that um PhD from Durham. So that that will help with that. And then I think, you know, there's been situations that I've always been in throughout my career, whether it be when I was at John Lewis or whether it be in the businesses, where you always feel a bit inadequate in certain settings. And whether it is with someone that's super intelligent or someone that's got more experience, we all feel that. But actually, I think what I've be, what I've grown to learn is that everyone feels like that. So they might feel like that's sitting with me. And I've just kind of got over it a bit more. And if I'm feeling really nervous about stuff, I mean, I was feeling quite nervous last week when I did that pitch, actually, to, to that guy from that big company, because I was thinking quite a lot riding on this because it could turn out to be a really big deal for us. And also, he's a really senior person in a FTSE 100 company. And, and then I thought, yeah, but he's taken my, the meeting and he, he knows me now. And actually, I can do this. I've got something to, to offer here. So it's, sometimes it's having that pep talk with yourself. Sometimes it's having a chat with a mate who says you can do it. And you, you need a bit of that sometimes but you've just got to make yourself do these things. That's my way of dealing with it. You put yourself in situations that make you feel a bit uncomfortable. And actually, if you get to a point where nothing phases you and you don't get nervous anymore and you don't feel uncomfortable, is that not more of a problem? Because does that mean that you, you've you become complacent or you don't care anymore? And I I would argue that's probably more, more of a problem. So you always need to feel a bit of that so that you do your best, that you prepare, that you put your best face on when you're presenting to people or whatever. And I think that's important in business.
0: Pushing yourself out of your comfort zone towards growth, isn't it? Isn't it? So there could be many people listening to this who are suffering from self-limiting belief. You know, they can recognize their imposter syndrome and it's holding them back. What would you offer in terms of advice to help them break through that?
1: Uh, it's a question that that um, I get asked about a lot in terms of imposter syndrome and I've got a whole chapter on it in my second book. And I interviewed uh, a number of women and asked them, you know, the similar question around What do you do about imposter syndrome, et cetera? And I think it is just powering through things, being as prepared as you can be for whatever situations are coming up and, you know, confiding in someone to get that support if if you need it. But you've just got to do it. You've just got to power through, haven't
0: you? I always say put your purpose ahead of your fear. So if you can think of the purpose and if you allow fear, to to hold you back, you're never going to realize that purpose. And what we're saying is, it's never too late to push forward, is it? And absolutely, you know.
1: absolutely. And you know, when you've been nervous about something and you're feeling nervous about it, when if you look back on any of those occasions, has it ever really, truly been as bad as you thought it was going to be, or is it actually the lead up to it that's the worst bit? Because I would argue it's you're actually wasting your energy because it's that lead up to it you know when I did my TEDx talk oh my god I was so nervous like unbelievably nervous to the point where I was just I could have been sick before I went on the stage and even when I was on there I was still nervous but it was less than when I was waiting in the wings to to come on the stage and then when I finished it oh that sense of like relief elation pride excitement And I was buzzing for about two days after it because it was such an an adrenaline rush. So the reality of it, was it as scary as I I thought? Absolutely not. But I kind of needed that to make sure that I was prepared enough to go and do a decent job and not humiliate myself. But this is the thing, you know, a pitch you might be really nervous about because it means a lot to you. You really want it. But again, it's the run up to it. You know, even the pitch itself, even if you slip up and make the odd mistake, they probably don't notice, you know. They probably don't notice, and I think it's it's how you react to things and just keeping you cool. And um, it's it's the worry and the lead up to things. So it's maybe looking at ways that you can keep you cool. How do you deal with that kind of pressure and stress um, to put yourself in the best place so that when you're in that moment that you're you've been worried about, that
0: you you're putting your best self forward. Well, so I think people um, sort of get themselves so focused on having to be perfect. Well, done's better than perfect. And if you're hanging on for perfect, well, it's a question, does perfect even exist? You know, you better and just And we've all got different perceptions
1: of what perfect is in any case. So if if you're out presenting, you know, your business, your standards are going to be way up here. But actually, your potential clients are probably a lot lower. And you're the expert in whatever it is that you're talking to them about. So, yeah, I mean, I, I would say I used to definitely be a perfectionist. And I've still got super high standards. But... I've learned to um, appreciate that actually, just getting stuff done and getting stuff out there is probably more important than making it that tiny little bit better.
0: And also, getting it out there is where you learn because you're going to get feedback, and that feedback is going to help you and support you with any you know changes that you that you may want to make. Whereas if you just keep battling on on your own, waiting for that perfect, well, it's not going to get out there. You're just stuck. On that note. So we've kind of touched already about you being an entrepreneur and coming from employment to being an entrepreneur. There could again be a lot of listeners here who've got a great idea, a great idea, but they are stuck in that mentality of I've got a good job. I don't want to step out of a comfort zone. You know, there's a lot of risk associated with not having that monthly paycheck. What would you say to, to that person?
1: That absolutely is risk, and and you've you've got to be a certain type of person to be able to be at peace or have some level of comfort with with that level of risk. And it's not for everyone. Um, you know, I've invested a lot of my own money into Mojo, and it it needs to work because otherwise I, I I lose all of that. Um, you know, at the moment I'm thinking about doing some other kind of investment raise because I know that it needs more cash into it. So I'm thinking, right, well, how can I You know, liquidate some cash from elsewhere and put that in. That's not for most people. You know, I'm I'm not taking a a a regular paycheck at the moment because the business can't afford that. So it's it's really um, it it really is. There's a lot of people that would just have sleepless nights about about that. Um, Maybe not enough confidence to see beyond that and know that the idea will will work. Um, So I think you've you've got to you've got to be a risk taker you've got to be because if you're not I I think you're going to struggle to to make something successful entrepreneurship it's a roller coaster it's full of ups and downs um I love that because that I get a buzz from that a job tends to be a bit more steady yes you're going to have highs and lows but it's it's generally more stable yes you could get made redundant lose your job but there's usually, you know, it's usually reasonably easy to, to get another job. It's just a different mindset. And I think if you've got something that you're really excited about and you've got an idea and you you know what you want to do in terms of a business, it's then going out there and looking at who can help you or what can help you, what resources are out there, what, um you know, which people do you need to go and speak to and just taking quite a systematic approach to it to, put all those blocks in place to be able to then go and create something it's it's not being afraid to to pivot if something's not quite working <laughs> It's been open to that feedback it's um trying different things out and and actually that's a real advantage of being a super small business is that you're not restricted by loads of bureaucracy you can change things quickly you can pivot so there's a lot of there's a lot of fun and and value in that but yeah it's The support network, seeing what's what's out there, that was one of the the first things I did with my first business was to get out and meet people in the northeast because I didn't know anyone in business. Now, whatever challenge I've got with business, I know someone that I can talk to. And if I don't know the exact person, I know who will be able to send me to the right person. So it's making the most of those networks. But you've got to work hard. You've got to work hard and... Uh, make things happen you know people talk a lot about work-life balance and not being a slave to work but if you're setting up a business from scratch sorry but you've got to put that graft in uh, at least initially and maybe further down the line you might actually have a much better balance or or it's not even balance is it that's that's the wrong word you might have more free time if you choose to have it but you can't get that immediately you've got to put the graft in
0: no, and that's one, that's a, a big bugbear of mine. You'll often if you follow me on social media, you'll see me having a little rant about this get rich quick. Um, I know, you know, it's like, like what you've just said there, you've got to work hard. And it, th- those early years, you know, of setting it up and the, the risk and the, the worry and the anxiety. But then, as you say, as it, as it goes, and it, I, I, I will say it's like raising children. It's like raising your children. You have your baby, you have your sleepless nights, don't you? And then you get your toddlers, your twos, your tantrums. And then, you know, by the time you you get through to the sevens and the eights, and then it goes good. And then you want to scale and they get bigger and older and you have the teenage tantrums and you've got, you know, it's very like that. And if you can handle that, then I think you you can handle entrepreneurship because it's pretty similar, isn't it? So outside of business, you do a lot. We touched on SmartWorks. You do a lot of work to support and encourage women in business. So why is this your passion?
1: I don't know because I don't think it was ever intentional, to be honest. Um, and uh, sometimes I worry that I might be coming across as a bit anti-men because all the stuff that I have got interest in is all is all women-based. But it's not the case. And, you know, we've got lots of male clients. I've got lots of male friends. I've got lots of male contacts in business. But I think. I think it's a couple of things. I think it was one, becoming a single parent to a daughter. So that kind of puts my focus a bit more on women and about the inequalities that, that we um, go through. So there's an element of that. And I think also when I moved back to the northeast and set up that first business, I didn't know anybody in business at all in the region. And I was going to networking events and they felt, and I hope they've moved on a bit. I think they have a bit, but they felt very traditional. They felt very old white men based very, you know, lots of stuff based around golf and things like that. And it wasn't for me. And it was only when I went to a women's specific networking event. It wasn't even the first women's specific one I went to. I think it was maybe the second or third where I thought, oh, this feels really different. There's a different vibe here. It's a different um, feeling that I get from being in this room. And it was just a really supportive group with a lot of people that I've, you know, come to know business wise, but also as friends as well. And it's what's now evolved to City Ladies, which is uh, the women's networking group that, that I run with a couple of friends. And um, I think, it, yeah, there's, there's just something around want, wanting to support other women. And when I was doing, to um, so my PhD is in female entrepreneurship. So there's definitely a theme. And I want to decode the female entrepreneur and look at what makes them successful. And when I was doing the research for the research proposal, I found um, a lot of really interesting information about women not getting the support in the same way that men do in terms of investment funding. So it's like, and it's an obscene stat around women only getting one P in the pound. So it's, it's a very real uh, problem, uh, particularly in this country. But also I found that when I was looking at the Rose review, which is a a fantastic report into female entrepreneurship by Alison Rose at, at NatWest on behalf of the government, there was a lot of stuff in there around women needing role models to give them the confidence to go for it with business, but that women-owned businesses do, do well. So it's, you know, what can you do to sort of pay it forward, I, I guess. And, you know, you can't help everybody and you can't meet people for coffee all the time to give them advice for their business. So then in that case, it's about being a bit more selective about who I do give that time to and you know, both of the non-exec roles that I've got um, have a have a female uh, purpose to them or a female focus, and it's um, it just feels good because I suppose I feel like I'm helping maybe the next generation of women coming through and, again, relates back, I've got a daughter, so there's another link there. Um, but, yeah, I've kind of fallen into it, but it feels good.
0: Yeah, fabulous. So in terms of you, you touched on a bit of, I mean, I don't know, as an entrepreneur, do we ever have a real work-life balance? Because I kind of think that I love what I do, so I don't ever want to really be off. I I mean, that might sound a bit crazy, but but I I don't have a day off ever. You know, there's always a day I'm working on my business, but I, I love that. I mean, what about you? Do you... Do you relate to that? Do you have days off? How, what do you have in terms of a work-life balance? Oh, I 100%
1: relate to that. It's very, very rare, even if I'm on holiday, if I'm honest, that I would have a day where I'm not at the very least thinking about business. It's like having another child, isn't it? It's like another child. You, your mind's always wondering to it. Even if I'm you know, lying on a sun lounger on a nice beach somewhere, I'm still thinking about it. And actually, that's where you get some of your best ideas. And, and again, it goes back to the previous discussion around entrepreneurship not being for everyone some people really want very clearly defined boundaries around work and and life and I think as an entrepreneur who loves what they do there are no boundaries it's fluid it runs into each other but it doesn't feel like work and that's why we have so much energy to do what we do because we're not we're not resentful of that time it feels you know it feels pleasant it's it's something that you enjoy so it's not it's not a hardship and I think that's the key to to all of it um you know if I was to add up the hours that I do it would be excessive compared to what the average would be for the country I don't count them though because I don't care um like I say I look for opportunities where I can involve Jess in coming to things so I've got a an event next week that um the one of the, the lady that um is running the the, the business that I've just become a, an exec for she's got a, her first speaking slot she does not do much speaking she's got her first speaking slot at this event next week and it's an early evening and there's cake so I was like brilliant I'll bring I'll bring Jess to that because she'll love it for the cake um but she'll get to meet she'll be in a really you know great room full of lots of exciting people and you know, that's our evening. But what would we be doing if we're at home? Probably watching some rubbish on TV or playing a game or something. So she'll enjoy that. I know she'll enjoy that. So it's kind of looking for opportunities to, to merge the two. Um, I do try and take time out to do things that I know will recharge me. I used to go and have a spa day every month. I would have one spa day, which was, again, quite excessive to be fair. Who goes for a spa day every month? But I loved that. I think it's good because you do have to relax to a point, but you also get that creative time as well. Um, So I need to get back into that because I got out of the habit of that during the pandemic, so I'd like to to do that again. I do book lots of holidays for for me and Jess, um, and I tend not to do any work. I, I might do the odd email or jot down some ideas or something, but I tend to do that when she's in bed so that it's not disrupting the time that we have and I am focused when we're out exploring or doing whatever. So, you know, I do put some things in place to try and force myself to have a bit of a, a break. But when you love what you do, your mind's always going. It's always going.
0: It does switch it off. It is. And in terms of boundaries, you know, and saying no to opportunities that you now know aren't right for you, you know, sometimes in the early days, fear makes you sort of say, yes, yes, yes. To everything it can do, and I know in my early days of entrepreneurship, I was always thinking, "Well, I better to say yes in case I don't get another opportunity." But I think as time goes on and we we learn from our mistakes, um, do you find it easy to say no to opportunities that you you know aren't right for you, and that that you know to protect your balance?
1: It's it's funny actually because someone asked me that question. Um, I was doing an after dinner talk at a conference a couple of weeks ago, and someone asked me that exact question. And then a guy that had watched my TEDx talk um, jumped in and said, I've seen your TEDx talk and you talk about saying yes to every opportunity, which I did. And that was my philosophy in the first business for at least the first five years. Say yes to everything, work it out, work out how you're going to fit it in, but say yes because it's an opportunity. You can only do that for so long because I'm at a point now where if I said yes to everything I got asked to do, I would literally, I wouldn't have the time to do it. And I really struggle to say no to things, particularly when it's something that in theory I would quite like to do. So um, I have to maybe go back and sort of renegotiate terms for the things where someone's asked me to do something and I can say, well, I can't give that amount of time to it or that level of commitment. However, Either these people would be great people for you to speak to, you know, passing them on and making that connection, or I'd like to be involved, but this is what I see the involvement is like, or sometimes it's got to be just a, I just can't do it, I'm at capacity, and it's going to have to be a no, and I think if it's not something that is massively aligned to the things that I'm interested in, it's easier to say no um but, it, but it, yeah it, it can be hard but you just you you can't once once you're at a point where you've got traction in various aspects of life you just can't do it and you've got to you've got to um you know have that sort of level of, of self-preservation it was interesting we had um Sarah davies from dragon's den is uh the ambassador for us at smartwicks newcastle and i interviewed her for my last book and um you know we, i know her reasonably well in a in a business sense and she was talking at an event we were running for smart a couple of months ago where someone was asking her about her work-life balance and I was saying I really want to know your answer to this because I see her everywhere she is doing everything and I said I just don't know how you do it and I don't know how you've got the energy and she sort of described it as having business time and family and friends time and if someone now asks her to do something she looks at where is it going to eat into that time? And the reality is it it's has to eat into one of those sort of parts you know, of her pie or whatever. So she finds it a lot easier to say no to things now because she knows that if she says yes to going and speaking at some event on an evening or whatever, that she can't put her kids to bed that night. And that's something that she really values. And yeah, she she was really interested around sort of that power of of saying no, but then also the power of saying yes to the things that she really wants to do and working out what that then means for those different areas that are her priorities in life and I thought I thought that was interesting but it just comes with time doesn't it you get to a point where you realize you, you can't you can't do it all. I had a meeting with someone from a college um, the other day a local college who wants me to get involved in something that they're doing around entrepreneurship at the college and they were saying oh you know you could come in and you could mentor some of the students and you could do this and you could do that. And I was sat there and I was thinking I would love to and I I see the value in it. And I think it's a great thing. But I was thinking, I haven't got the time to do this. And and I even said to him, I haven't got the time to do this properly. So therefore, I don't want to do it. But I know some people who probably would have the time to do it and who would also do a great job. So let me introduce you to them. And, you know, we left it as a. um, let's keep in touch and he wants to run ideas by me great I can I can deal with that I can deal with the odd coffee or conversation but that level of commitment to coming in and speaking to people every week or having that mentoring relationship I, ju- I just can't do it and and if you can't do something really well and it doesn't add you know a lot of value to everything else that you're doing you, you it's just not for you and we're all at different points that would have been for me five years ago and I would have loved it um but you things move on and you've got to, when you're giving yourself to different
0: things, you've got to be all in. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, it's been an absolute joy chatting to you. And in conclusion, I would like you to pay forward some of your advice. What is the biggest piece of advice that you would give to other people embarking on a journey of reinvention or finding a new direction?
1: Oh, what question? I think, and this would probably be my advice to many questions actually relating to to business and life, is to um, find your tribe, find that support network of people that are going to help you unlock whatever challenge, whatever situation you're in, and give you good quality advice and be there to support you when you're unsure about things, when you're having those tough days, but also to be there... When you have some success and be able to celebrate with you and be able to champion all the great things that you're doing, so um, I'm very much a people person, probably the HR background in me. But you know that's that's where you get your energy and that's where you solve problems by taking and seeking and taking good advice. So don't underestimate uh, the value of network and having quality people in that network
0: yeah and i think that's a great place to to round up and we've touched on it quite a lot haven't we the importance of collaboration with like-minded people find people who get you that's absolutely wonderful and thank you so much for joining me sophie been fun thank you